this is now part number three of message number eight on the red heifer continuation from part number two it says oh how thou art fallen fallen in order to fall that means you have to be somewhere how thou art fallen from heaven O Lucifer son of the morning how art thou cut down to the ground which we you did weaken the nations notice his influence over the nations of the world had the ability to weaken them how through his principalities and powers as the prince of the power of the air and all his lying and deceiving uh, spirits and all of these things the way that they are organized in the spiritual realm is enough to influence the nations of the world for you have said in your heart notice we're also going to be studying the battle for the heart notice where he spoke it first not with his mouth but with his heart in his heart in his heart out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks what's in the heart is what comes out and Jesus gave us a very defining line as to what is in the heart of man before he is saved and that's why when we're born again we're both given a new spirit and a new heart because we need that capability to be able to rethink, to be able to see things differently, so that when our mouth speaks, it can speak according to a pattern that has been devised by God, where our words align themselves with His will and His words. Instead of contradicting Him, and we do, we contradict Him with our words constantly, where God says one thing and we say a different thing. And Jesus is supposed to be the high priest of our confession. He's supposed to watch over the words that we speak, that they agree with the word of God, so that they can be fulfilled and be brought to pass. Not that our words can do it, but God's word has the power and the spirit of life in it to fulfill itself when spoken in faith. For the word of God is quick, it is alive, it is powerful. And it can accomplish so much. How thou art fallen. You have weakened the nation. For you have said in your heart. That's in verse 13 of chapter 14 of Isaiah. I will descend to heaven. Remember, he fell from heaven. He wants to ascend back up to heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. In other words, I will exalt my throne above not only the stars of the heaven, but the stars which are also named and called the angels of God. I will exalt my throne above the very heavens themselves. I will exalt my throne above every single angel. That's already two. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation. Can you imagine the imagination of this created being? Because Lucifer is a created being. He is not a god. To actually think that he can be above the stars of God. That he can sit 
upon the mount of the congregation, the congregation that is around God's throne, the congregation that makes up part of the counsel of God, those that do His bidding, those that are their ministers, those that are their spirits that minister to the saints. He says, I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. Verse 14. This is number four. His fourth I will. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. So if he's going to ascend above the heights of the clouds, then that means he is now in a position where he's below something because he's got to go above the height of the clouds. And of course he is the prince of the power of the air. And that means that he dwells very, 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 very close to the surface of this earth. The clouds being above, he being below the clouds, but yet not being on the planet, having it as his place of residence. How do we know this? Because the scripture says in Revelation chapter 12 that there was war in heaven and the devil was cast out and woe to the inhabitants of the earth for he comes with great fury. In other words, at that point, this earth will be his habitation and woe to those that live on the earth during that time because he will deal viciously with the inhabitants of the earth. This is futuristic. But right now, he's still the prince of the power of the air. He is that false god, that false tyrant, that still works in the children of disobedience, that still manifests himself in the lives of those who have not called upon the name of the Lord. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Huh. I thought we heard something similar in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, from verses 1 through 6. The serpent beguiled Eve. But the serpent was also beguiled of Satan himself. He used the serpent. So the serpent was also cursed, both as a physical and as a spiritual being. Talking about Satan. Eve actually thought that she could be like the Most High God. In order to be like the Most High God, you have to imagine it. You have to think it and roll it over in your mind. How long, for how much time had actually gone by from the time that they were created to the time that they went and saw the tree? Could it be possible that Eve had already been contemplating could it be possible that the devil had already been throwing arrows at her mind and knew that at a susceptible place and time that Eve might be swayed 
just like the angels that were swayed and followed Satan and fell, that she could also be swayed. Is it possible that he could plant the, Im the images in the mind? Is it possible that he could make God to be out a liar? God really didn't say that. And if he did say it, he really didn't mean it. And somewhere along the line, in the battle for the will, the woman begins to want to be wise. Begins to want to eat of the fruit. See, the will has got to be able to kick in. The desires of the soul, instead of being subjected to the Holy Spirit and our spirit, become the guiding force for the flesh to fulfill its desires becomes the the instrument which is used to turn the will in favor of the flesh and against God and it becomes a battle so we see this first example of Satan saying I will be like the most high God his imagination had to be tremendous because, see, he already had seen and he knew exactly what God was like. If he was the worship leader in heaven and he guided the worship around the throne of God, he knew exactly what God is like. He knew that God is holy, that God is pure. For him to think that in his state he could even be like the Most High God is a vain deception. And that is what we find in the scripture. People that become vain in their imaginations. Just like in the book of Romans. They become vain in their imaginations believing a lie. Well anyway. We could say a little bit more about this. But we've got to go on to the next thing that we want to talk about. And we want to talk about now. The heart. The battle for the heart, and this one has so much that we could cover on, and we're just going to go and glance right over the surface. Maybe at another time we'll be able to add a little bit more to it, but for the time being, we just want to cover just a little bit over the surface. It says, My son, attend to my words, Proverbs 4.20. My son, attend to my words. Incline your ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Keep God's word in the midst of your heart. The words that you have heard him speak to your heart. And the words that you have read and studied. And the words that the living word, Jesus himself, has prompted in you. Keep them in thine heart. Verse 22. Because if you do that, they are life unto those that find them, and they are health to all their flesh. So it's going to affect two things. There is a producing more of life, his life, not this type of life in this world, but his kind of life, not biological life, not social life, but God kind of life.
keep them in the midst of thee, for they will be held to all their flesh. Keep your heart. The word there, keep your heart, literally means guard it. It is the same word, or it's the same thought that we find when we read in Philippians in chapter <clears throat> 4, in, in chapter 4, uh, in verse uh, 6, where it tells us don't be afraid of anything, don't be anxious, don't be fretful, don't be, don't, don't be worrying, don't, don't let these things just overwhelm you, but in everything through prayer and supplication and petition and with thanksgiving, make your request known unto God. And it says in the following verse, verse 7, and the peace of God will garrison, will guard your heart. God's peace will guard your heart. But you also have to guard your heart from what comes in through your ears and what comes in through your eyes. Both of these are different gateways and each one influences the imagination and the mind differently. But when you hear something and see something, it has a double effect. It's much stronger than just simply hearing something. Jesus said concerning the parables of the sower sows a seed, Be careful, take heed to how you hear. Take heed to how you hear a thing. Take heed to how and what you allow into your heart and into your mind and into your soul. Take a cautious heed because with the same measure that you measure it out into your being, it will be measured back out again. So it's very important, very important that these two things, and these two things are very prominent. The ears for hearing music, or hearing gossip, or hearing perversion, or hearing the word of life. Or the eyes for seeing that which is pleasant and honorable to God, or seeing that which defiles, that which perverts, that which affects the heart of man. So, keep them, guard them. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Now it's important for us to understand that when he's talking about out of it flow the issues of life, he is mentioning to us that the issues of life have to and deal with in us the boundaries, the sources, the things that go forth out, the outgoings. It is collective. It is supposed to be limited to only what God can permit in there, in our lives. We are to guard it. But, if we go to the book of James, and we go to chapter number 3 of the book of James, 
he gives us a wonderful explanation of both the tongue and the heart. Remember, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth is going to speak. So if the mouth is speaking out of the abundance of the heart, then we have to guard what is in abundance in the heart. Because it can be a fountain of life or it can be a fountain of death. It can be a fountain of blessing. It could be a fountain of cursing. It could be a fountain of good or it could be a fountain of evil. And Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 12, starting with verse 32 onward. He talked about the heart. And he talked about everything concerning the heart. And how can a good tree give bad fruit and a bad tree give good fruit? And talking about the heart, then how about we will be judged for the words, the idle words, the useless words that flow out of our mouth because they are flowing out of the heart. They're flowing out of the imagination. They're flowing out of the intentions and the motives that we got that nobody can see, nobody can know, nobody can understand. But only God through His Holy Word can separate and distinguish what is thought and what is intention. And the scripture says in chapter 3 of the book of James and reading in verse number 6, it says, well, I'll read verse 5. Even so the tongue is a little member, it boasts great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, it's a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body. Now Jesus said in Mark, in chapter 4, excuse me, in Mark chapter 7, He said that whatever flows out of a heart of man, that's what defiles him. But He said, when it comes out of your mouth, not only does it defile your whole body, but it sets on course, it sets with fire, <clears throat> 